you have a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 18. And I'll pray as you go there. Father, Lord, we just settle our hearts on you just for this next few moments. God, to open your word that it's a solemn thing. God, that you'd give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, eyes to see, feet to walk out of this place different. Lord, that it's not about me or this church or denomination, God, but that the Word of God would just pierce our hearts and show us who you are and the majesty of knowing you and that your plans are sure and that we can trust in you and have confidence in you to be ready, Lord, for your soon return. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. I want to wrap up our series in the book of Isaiah, our series called Jesus Saves, about the promises of God for His church in a day such like this. And we've called it Jesus Saves, but I want to talk to you today about when He comes. When He comes. And I have a tagline. It would be, there's a decision uh, in the valley of decision, or there's division in the valley of decision. But how certain... Are you about your plans for next week or next month? And if you know this year, the year like this year has kind of put us on that edge. I don't know what next week's going to look like. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring or next year. What with the virus or pandemic or economy or election, all this stuff. If we've learned anything in 2020, that there could be a hurricane in December, there could be a fire. I mean, we just don't know. And so sometimes unexpected things can change our plans. I had all kinds of plans for 2020, for what we were going to do and how things were going to be. And I'm learning as a control freak, I'm not really in control of many things. How many know that? You know, it comes to shove, push comes to shove, you're really not in control of what happens with the economy or if I have a job or what the virus is going to do or what the national economy or, or the election. I don't, I'm not in control of that. I'm barely in control of myself, if I'd be really honest. And so we're not in control. Who knew all the things that would happen just in one year that we're facing today? And you know, when people don't know what's going to happen, it can make us anxious, it can make us fearful. Uh, you can even fear, par uh, feel paranoid or paralyzed. It's all the conspiracy, oh my gosh, this could be or that could be. And then if you had a plan and it doesn't work out, you can get angry, you can get depressed, you can even, even lose hope because, man, I thought I would have money, I thought I'd have a job, and, man, I'm hopeless or discouraged. And... Uh, you know, I've been thinking this year, like looking into the next year. Man, I don't even know, I don't know what next year's gonna bring. I don't know what five years is gonna bring. I don't know what 10 years, I don't even know what 50 years is gonna bring. But I do know what a thousand years is going to bring. I don't know tomorrow, but I do know forever. How many know that? I don't know tomorrow. I don't know the next day, but I do know eternity. Why? Because even though I can barely see a year ahead, I can see a thousand because God's plan, the Bible says, is yes and amen. It is true. It is certain in Jesus Christ. And I want to get our, our hearts and our minds kind of in perspective, get our plans in perspective. And if you remember the verse in James chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 15, he says, why are you guys planning what you're going to do? Some of you say, well, we're going to go next year to this town and buy and sell and do and this. He says, guys, don't you remember that your life 
is like a vapor. And you don't know. And it's actual boastful arrogance that we would even be able to plan our lives because it's fleeting. It's quickly faded. We may not make it home today. We, we don't know what the world's going to bring tomorrow. And he says, what well, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do such and such. That's how we get our mind in perspective that God's plans are bigger than our plans. Somebody say amen. amen. That God's plans are bigger than our plans. So get it in perspective. And Proverbs says this way in chapter 19. He says that the human mind may devise many plans. Everybody say plans. But the purpose of the Lord is what will be established. We can have all kinds of plans, but it will be the purpose of the Lord that will ultimately be established. And I want to talk to you today that unless your plans are in His purpose, you will be unprepared when He comes. Unless your plans are in His purpose, we will be unprepared when he comes, God had this mysterious plan that Paul talks about in Ephesians 1. He said, before the ages, before everything even came to be, God had foreordained, he had predestined something to happen, that a people would be conformed into his image, that Jesus would come as a sign to the nations, and that God would build this Holy Spirit temple that he would dwell within. And that's that great mysterious plan that you and I know today, that Christ has come but how many know He's coming again? Christ has come, but He's coming again. But why should this matter? In reality, because sometimes, you know, we've always heard this, the end time stuff, man. Yeah, we know it's going to happen. And I've seen the Left Behind series. And, and we kind of, man, it's so easy to just go with today. It's so easy to get into a routine of my family and my Christmas and our Thanksgiving and my job and our kids and their school and our retirement and our family and the drama of today. And we get so focused here. So why should all this stuff really matter? And it matters because... Tomorrow is uncertain, but forever is sure. You know, I don't, I don't, it should matter how we live today because tomorrow is unknown, but forever is certain. And unless your plans fit into his purpose, you will find yourself unprepared when he comes. We each have to make a decision in the valley of decision. I'm going to talk to you about Isaiah. If you have a Bible, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 18. Let me talk to you about when he comes. <clears throat> okay, so here's the background of this chapter. The last few chapters of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is this prophet from the southern kingdom. He's prophesying into the future, even not even to the last days, but he's prophesying to a people who will be in exile under the nation of Babylon. And he begins to talk to them and, and have this dialogue with him and God and, and this nation. And he begins in the last few chapters to begin to tell of these end days, these end times. And he's talking to a people that really want to come back to uh, Israel and rebuild God a temple. They want to get out of bondage in, in, in Babylon. They say, oh, we want to go back. And we're going to rebuild the temple. Man, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. We're going to make things like it used to be. And that's our heart. The Lord, come save us. We want to rebuild your temple. And God speaks and he says, guys... No one can build me a temple worthy of me. 
In fact, you guys have been hypocritical the whole time. You've been serving idols and you've built your own kingdoms and you've not fulfilled what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to be a kingdom that all the nations would come in and see who I am and what kind of a God I am. And you've tried to build temple after temple, but yet it's failed. And so that's why you're in exile. And only I can build my temple. And in Isaiah 66, he says, here's the temple I'm going to build. It's going to be out of humble and contrite people. Contrite means repentant. Humble and repentant people who are true worshipers. God desires to build himself a dwelling place where there is a humble people who are indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he says, that's what I'm going to do. And he begins to lay out this plan. He says, there is this good and glorious plan for true worshipers like that. People who want to be the place of God's dwelling. People who want to be temples of the Holy Spirit. I have a good and glorious plan for true worshipers. But for everyone else who worships their own self and their own plans and builds their own kingdoms, it's very plain. Isaiah lays out the good glorious plan versus the horrors of hell. And sometimes I just want to give you the full unadulterated truth. What I've done today is to bring all this together and without fancy illustrations and props and jokes, I have gone through every verse in Isaiah that is in the New Testament for the end times. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to bring it together because I just want you to know the truth that more certain... More certain than you going home today, more certain than you going to Walmart this week, more certain before you buy your next gift on Amazon, God's plans will come to pass. Before you, you, we bank our lives so much on fleeting things. You don't know if you'll make it home today. You don't know if you'll have a job next week. You don't know if there'll be another natural disaster. You don't know if there'll be a new virus. We don't know anything, but we do know the plans of the Lord are sure and certain. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 18. If you're there, somebody say amen. Amen. He says this, For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all the nations in tongues. Now Isaiah is talking about this last days, what's going to happen through the Messiah and after the Messiah. He says, They shall come and see my glory. I'll set a sign among them. We know that sign is Jesus Christ. A sign among them and will send survivors from them to the nations. That's the early church going to the nations. He says, To Tarshish, to Put, to Lud, to Meshach, to Tubal, to Javan to the distant coastlands. And if you do your geography, that's all the first places that the early church went, even to Spain. That's what he's saying, to Spain, to Europe, to North Africa. And he says, they'll come and they'll, the distant coastlands, they've never seen my fame or heard my fame or seen my glory. They'll declare, and I'll declare, my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses and chariots and litters and mules and camels to my holy mountain in Jerusalem. He's saying they'll all come to be the temple of God from every place in all different ways and types of places. He says, just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. He says, he's making a holy people who are coming. He says, I'll take some of them for priests and for Levites. And it begins to fulfill what he told Moses. I'm calling you to be a kingdom of priests to the nations. Even Peter says that you have been created a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you into his marvelous light. He says, this is going to be fulfilled. And here's this, once the Messiah does that, the nations come in and people become the temple of the Lord and people become ministers to the Lord. He says in verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I make will endure before me. 
declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. And it shall be from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath. He's saying eternity. All mankind will come bow down before me, says the Lord. Isn't that good news? That's good news. But then there's verse 24. You can't do the whole Bible without doing the whole thing. Verse 24. And they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die. And their fire will not be quenched, and there'll be an abhorrence to all mankind. Unless your plans fit into His purpose, you will be unprepared when He comes. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he says, With fear, with reverent awe, we plead for men to come be made right with God. Knowing the fear of the Lord is what moved Paul with urgency and with tears because he said, I know people aren't ready and I know that the king is coming and he's coming with the good glorious plans for his saints, but it will be the horrors of hellfire for those who are not ready. He says, so I am pleading with you. I'm imploring you. I'm begging you. Be reconciled to God because it's a good glorious plan that he wants for your life. This is more certain than you making it home today. Let's unpack it. I'm talking about three days from the book of Isaiah that is in the gospel. I'm going to just kind of lay it out there. And maybe this is a, a history lesson, but it's a history to come, okay? Uh, so the first is this. It's the day of the kingdom. And I'm going to just tell you the story that is sure to happen is this. is God had this great purpose in Israel. He said, I desired Israel to birth the nations, to have children, inheritance. But he says they, she was a barren woman and that Israel didn't fulfill her purpose. So he said, I'm going to set a sign. I'm going to do the purpose that I wanted Israel to do. And I'm going to set my sign. And that's going to be this Messiah who's come. And he says that this Messiah, you know, the Christmas story, he says he'll be a light to the Gentiles. He'll be a light to the nations. And when he comes, he'll light, light up the darkness of this world and he'll bring people back to him. And he says at the right time in Isaiah 49, he would come. And Isaiah 7 says he would come by a virgin and would speak that light in the midst of the darkness. He'd bring the year of the Lord, a day of liberty to the captives. But they didn't know, Isaiah 53, that he would be a suffering servant, that he'd bear the transgressions of many. He'd be a set aside with criminals and by his stripes, that's how we would be healed. And so this sign comes. He'd be this lamb led to the slaughter in Isaiah 53. But he would go to the nations. And Isaiah 42, he says, man, I want hope for the nations, hope for the Gentiles. And Jesus would come. He says, in one day, I will birth a new nation, Isaiah said. In one day, in one hour, a new nation will be born. And don't you know, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came down, in one day, there was a new nation for the, the, the nations to come in, a new kingdom where in one day and one moment people were citizens of heaven that happened it's already here you know you used to have to be born into judaism you used to have to convert you used to have to be born into i mean how do you become an american citizen uh you either born here or you got to go through all these steps to learn the language and know george washington and ben franklin they probably know more about it than we do honestly and they have to take all that he says in one moment i'll birth a nation you know when the holy spirit comes in your life that in, in an instant you are a new creation you are a new citizen of heaven your name is up there and in one moment all across 
across the world today, new people are citizens of heaven, just like that. That never before happened, but it's happening today. Somebody say amen. amen. He says, no longer now is Israel barren, Isaiah 54. Now she has children of the nations. And he says, I'm gathering the nations through Christ. Instantly, And he said, I'm commissioning these citizens, these true worshipers in Isaiah 66, to go to the nations. And it was on that very day after Pentecost, they went to Tarshish, which is Spain, to Put and Lud, which is North Africa, to Tubal, which is North Europe, to Javan, which is Greece. And God began to fulfill everything that Isaiah said. But Isaiah also said this in Isaiah 66, verse 5, that there'd be a great hatred of persecution of true worshipers by false worshipers until the very end. Jesus said it in Matthew 24, there'll be tribulations and persecutions and wars and nature pains and lawlessness. All that would be continuing to increase in the day of the kingdom. Now you can look at all these things and you say, well, what does it have to do with me? Remember what Paul said? That God has a good plan for those who are called according to His what? Purposes. Everything works out for your good, for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. God desired to make a people who would be the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who would be this new citizen kingdom, a kingdom of priests who worship the Lord, who would have a heart to go to the nations and tell them about Jesus Christ, that today is the day of His kingdom is on the earth. Today is the day of salvation. And you and I are living in redemptive history. There has never been a day greater than right here, right now. You are living in the age of the Holy Spirit, the age of God's grace to the whole world, where people are coming in by the millions, being filled with the Holy Spirit, becoming temples of the Most High God. That is a day the prophets looked and longed for. Isaiah spoke about it, and you're living in it. Can you imagine? You're living in biblical history, biblical prophecy. And so he says, I'm calling these people According to my purposes to walk in my plans, you're no longer of the world. But see, for there's a day of the kingdom, but there's also a day of the judgment. While we're in this kingdom, there's also this other kingdom. It's called the Antichrist kingdom or the kingdom of Satan. You see, at the very same time as persecution and lawlessness increase, Satan will, the Bible says, continue to lead people astray. Eventually to the point where he takes completely over man's kingdom. There'll be an antichrist ruler, the Bible says, a false prophet who'll exalt himself through Satan to be as every, above everything as even as God. And on that day, he'll make war with the saints. The Bible says he will overcome them. He'll have authority over every nation and tribe. Everyone will worship this false Messiah. There'll be such a great tribulation the world has never seen for every person who stands apart of Satan's economy. But he says there's a good news here that God has destined these false worshipers to wrath. Because there's this thing called the first reaping. It's called the rapture of the saints, and Revelation tells us there's two reapings. There's a first reaping and a second reaping. The first reaping is where he sees the harvest is finally right. Jesus says the gospel is going to be preached to all the ends of the world, all the nations. They're going to know, and then the end will come. And it says that in the Bible that he will exalt uh, himself through the church, that Christ will come on the clouds in power and glory with the shout of a great trumpet, and his angels will gather his elect from the four winds. And Paul adds on, he says, the dead in Christ will rise first, and the living who are yet remaining will meet them together in the clouds. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. And it says, in that moment, the one, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 says that the one who restrained the Antichrist will step out of the way, and then it's his land, his game. There will be plagues that 
make the plagues of Moses and Exodus look like children's play. That was just a foreshadow of what's to come. The Bible says in these last days, there'll be plagues of revelation. The Bible repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly says, there'll be wonders in the sky, blood, fire, smoke of columns, hail, fire, blood, and will we'll destroy a third of the earth. A third of the sea will turn to blood. A third of the fresh waters will be made bitter. A third of the sky will be blackened. Every idol, everything man has exalted, every kingdom, every lofty thing man has lifted up to power in himself and gloat in himself will become crushing down. Man's economy will be as nothing. It said they'll flee to the caves of the wrath and terror of the Lord that has come upon them. Demonic plagues will torment men. And the Bible says in Isaiah that men will become scarcer than pure gold. A third of all living things in man will die. But this will not be the full judgment. You see, the Lord is patient. He is slow to anger, not willing that any would perish, but all come to repentance. And even then, as God is bringing judgment on the world, even in the kingdom age and in the judgment age, He is reckoning men, please come back to me. Come into my glorious good plan. But because they've given themselves over to self-worship, to building their own kingdom, to exalting themselves up to be as God, to be concerned with their own plans and their own agenda and their own identity and their, make their own purpose, because that's what we do. Who is God to tell me how I can live? I can love who I want to love. I can be who I want to be. I can do what I want to do. Just love yourself. Don't you hear these messages today? Even the, there's a, a political rhetoric right now. Nothing has ever been accomplished if we can't do it together. That is the same exact statement that was made at the Tower of Babel. That we, if we pull together, we can build ourselves up as great. There is nothing we can't do if we put our minds to it. That is the message of this age. Do you hear me? We are living in a day where He is about to come. Amen. And so He says, this is coming and it's sure, it's certain that men, many men will not repent and turn to the Lord. There's a day coming where Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet spirit will gather the nations of the world to wage war on Jerusalem. There's a valley that mates from Jerusalem all the way up to the northern parts of Israel. It's 200 miles wide. It's called the Valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. Sometimes it's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Isaiah and Joel call it the Valley of Decision. It says in that Valley of Decision, millions will come and gather together against Jerusalem. It'll be captured, it'll be plundered. It says half of the citizens in Zechariah will be exiled and the other half will have no escape. They'll back themselves up to the Mount of Olives. And it says that just at that very moment Christ will descend from the eastern sky. He'll split that mountain into a large valley allowing the way of Jerusalem to escape. He'll stand before them and Satan's legions. He'll come in glowing garments on a white horse. He's not going to be a baby in the manger. He's not going to be coming with, with a cross on his back any longer. He's coming in strength and in might. The Bible says in Isaiah 66, he'll come with fire and his chariots and the armies of heaven. He'll bring a day of reckoning against every proud and lofty thing. The Bible says it'll be a day of vengeance and salvation. Zechariah says the earth will even darken and shake as he treads upon the armies of Satan and Satan's kingdom like a wine press. It says that Jesus will come and destroy every single person who stood against him and his armies. That the blood of their, their wrath will blow, flow up to a horse's bridle for the entire length of that 200 mile valley. And he says that with one single breath of his mouth, one single spoken word, Jesus will have victory because he is the word of the Lord. He's the same word of the Lord that said, let there be light. And there was light. Who could stand against someone like that? When he says, let the dead rise and they rise. When he says, let the sea be melted and the mountains melt like wax. He says it and it's done. And with one single word, he takes that 
Antichrist and false prophet throws them into the lake of fire. And what we call is a millennial reign. Jesus begins to reign on the earth. And it says that Jesus will have a first resurrection. The, the, those who have been dead in the tribulation, the tribulation saints will begin to reign with Christ for a thousand years. And these are mysteries to be revealed. We barely understand them with just a simple glimpse. But it says that God's purpose for Israel will be accomplished. He'll establish Israel as the center of the entire world. Zechariah and Isaiah both agree that they'll take all the battlefield equipment, all the tanks and all the military rifles, and they'll all be turned into farming equipment. And the nations will come to worship God. And for a thousand years, Israel will have the purpose fulfilled that He always wanted her to have fulfilled. And the nations will have again another chance to come and serve. God's merciful. God is patient. He's slow even in a day of judgment. He's beckoning them to come. And for a thousand years, He'll reign and rule with His saints and create that utopia that He wants. But then at the end of a thousand years, He'll release Satan again. He'll tempt the nations one more time. They'll come again in war to Jerusalem and the Bible says in a single moment, fire and brimstone will destroy every single one of them. All of man's kingdom will be thrown with Satan into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Now you can read something like this and say, oh Lord, have mercy. This is fearful. It's trembling. What are you talking about, Pastor Heath? Give me something good. Give me some good news. Give me a lift me up, a pet me up service. You see, the Lord says we don't have to be anxious about these things because everyone who is born of God, what? Overcomes the world. You see, God has a good, glorious plan for you. And if you are a true worshiper, if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, He's got a third day. It's called the day of perfection, the age of perfection. See, there's going to be a great white throne. And the Bible says when God steps in this time, it's not going to be with a shielded level. It's not just going to be Jesus on a horse. It's going to be the full weight of God's manifest glory. When God steps out of His dominion and into our dominion, it says that everything, every ounce of matter will flee at His presence. There'll be no stars. No, there'll not even be carbon in the atoms. There'll be nothing that because of His full unfiltered glory, everything will be us gone. It'll be that's, that's how powerful God is. That's how glorious God is. He's not just some God we can just come sing a few carols to and think we can appease Him. He's a God that when He steps into this reality, everything flees in His presence. All the dead will stand before Him. They'll be judged according to the book of life or the book of works or your deeds. Meaning that everyone who is not in the book of life will be thrown in the lake of fire. You will stand there either in His grace and mercy as a true worshiper, as one who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you, who is a lover of God, who wants to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, or a person who's tried to have their own plans and their own purpose and their own identity, doing things by your own works and your own accomplishment. And He says, I'll judge you according to those works. I'll judge you according to your accomplishments and you'll be seeing according to the standard of my son how far you fall short by your own works the dead will be judged by every evil thing they've ever done and he says those not found in the book of life will be thrown into the devil's hell into a lake of fire and it's, that's the place where the worm will not die and the fire will not be quenched and there will be an abhorrence to all mankind and Revelation says at that place the smoke of hell will continue forever and forever as a sign of God's good grace for those who worshiped Him. But then God makes all things new. He says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. And the former things are not remembered and there'll be no more moon nor sun there because the Lord's light will shine. 
He says, I see a day where there's no more crying, no more decay, no more death. Everything, nature itself, will be at peace with itself and peace with God. He says, I see a new Jerusalem. The people who wanted to be God's possession, the people who wanted to be the bride of Christ, the people who wanted to have God's spirit within them, they will tabernacle and dwell with God and he with them forever. They will be the living temple of the living God. And he says, their true worshipers will live eternally, but false worshipers will die eternally. This is going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass. We can play life all we want. You can set your dreams and agendas. You can build your own economy. You can raise your children. You can be with your family. You can buy new cars. You can build new houses. But more certain than all of that, this is going to happen. Isaiah 46.10, and I'll wrap up with this. He says that God has declared the end from the beginning, that His counsel shall stand and He will accomplish all Everybody say all. All His purpose. This was already finished before this whole thing ever began. Jesus died, it says, before the foundation of the world, that God had already purposed His Son to die. He'd already purposed a new heaven, new earth. So who are you to think you can have your own plans and do your own things and build your own life? His plans are certain. They're sure His purpose is going to come to pass. And unless our plans fit within His purpose, we will be unprepared when he comes, because everything works out for our good if we love God and if we are called according to his purpose. Like Paul said, and I'll say it again, he says, I plead with them. I plead with them, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing the terror of the Lord, I plead with them. Come back to God. Come back to God. On that day, there will be a division in the valley of decision when he comes. Isaiah 66, 2, he says, this is who I'm looking for. I'm looking for the humble and the repentant, for the people who tremble at my word. I'm looking for true worshipers who desire me to come because I've got a good, glorious plan for these. So what's your plans for tomorrow? Are you living life by your own desires, by your own thoughts, building your own plans, doing your own thing, living your own American dream, trying to do your best to get through life and worrying about everything that could happen tomorrow and what you could do and be and become? Or you say, Lord, my, my life is all about your purpose. My life is all about your plans. The only thing I want, Lord, is to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. God, there's one thing that I might seek, that I might dwell, to be forever in the house of the Lord. That's, to be, that's the people that God is going to make this new heaven out of. This new Jerusalem will be those who say, God, I'm a worshiper. I'm a king, a lover of the king. I'm a citizen of heaven. So are you a true worshiper today? Are you interested in his plans being accomplished through your life? Are you interested in going to the nations? Are you born again and changed your citizenship from the things and the cares and affairs of this world and changed your address into that heavenly address? Because let me tell you something, you don't have to wait till all these things happen to be that people for God's possession. That right now, God wants to pick some of you in this room. He wants all of you to come in and say, yes, I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit and power. I want to make you a people who the nations 
nations will look at you and say, yes, my house is a house of prayer, that God has a heart for the nations, for people to come in, that God has a good, glorious plan. But you've got to be ready when He comes. You've got to be ready when He comes. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and hearts and the worship team to come. Unless our plans are a part of His purpose, we'll be unprepared when He comes. What's your plans? What's your plans? What's the purpose of your life? Is it to be a career person, to have a job, to have a car, to have a house, to be a good husband, to be a good wife. All those are good things. Many of those things may be a part of God's plan and purpose for your life, but ultimately at the end of the day, are you humble? Are you repentant? Do you tremble in a holy fear of God, but rejoice at His coming? See, true worshipers tremble at the Lord, but they rejoice at His coming because they know they are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's begun here right now. It can begin right here today. Lord, make my heart humble. Make my heart repentant. God, give me a holy fear of what's going to happen and what is happening even now. But Lord, to have perfect love cast out all that fear to have the joy of the Lord is my strength, to have my identity in Jesus Christ, to know that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, to be ready when He comes. Are you really, really ready today? Are you ready to stand before a holy and righteous God who is going to judge the living and the dead? How confident will you be when you stand before God that everything flees at His presence and you're there with millions before this great white throne? Will you be confident? Will you be rejoicing? Will you know that you know that you know that Jesus is alive inside of you, that you are a child of the Most High God, that everything you've ever done has been passed away and that your works are nothing but because His his work has been working in you. That it's the Holy Spirit while you're on this earth that His work is working in you. His purpose is purposing you. His plans are being planned in you. That's how you know. That's how you know. I'm going to give a, just a, an open altar call today. You know exactly where you are. I do not stand here to judge or condemn you or to scare you. But I want you to be ready. Like Paul, man, this morning, I was just weeping in my office this morning. God, how many of our church is not ready? How many of this generation is not ready? Lord, I feel this calling, this urgency of an hour like this day. Like this year, if we're not ready in a year like 2020, when will we ever be? Lord, bring us back to you. Can you just ask the Lord to cleanse your heart? If you want to be right with Jesus, all you have to do is call out to His name. The Bible says that He's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We simply confess that He is who He says He is, that we are not, and that we need Jesus to save us. Just cry out, Jesus, save me. Just ask Him to make you a temple of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to indwell within you. Give up working by your own works and just come into grace, come into love, come into the abundant life. Come live life through His way of living, not your way of living and doing. Come into His way of living. Let joy overtake you. Let abundant life overtake you. Let gladness overtake you. Let, live in faith and not fear. Live in a place where God is in control of your emotions. Live in a place where God is in control of your agenda. 
Live in a place where God is speaking to you as you wake up in the morning and God, you're rejoicing in Him every single day. Live in a deeper place. Not in this kingdom, but in His reality, in His kingdom. Live where God reigns in your heart. Live in that place and say, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord right now, just make it right with Him. Make it right with Him. Maybe you're a saint of God and you just know that it, your affection for His kingdom has waned and, and you're not that place like you want to be and just say, Lord, make me a better temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I'm sorry. Renew that in me, Lord. May my purpose and my plans be your purpose and your plans. Would you come? Jesus, would you come? These altars are open. If you want to find a place of prayer today, right here in the front, our, our team is here to pray with you and to lead you and to just be with you. But I'm going to ask you uh, if just to stand all across this room. Wherever you are, let's just take a moment. We're going to stand together. And I'm going to ask you to make an altar. If you want to come to the front, you can come to the front. If you just need to get alone with the Lord and let God minister to you, maybe you're going through some things that you just need God's comfort and His peace and His plans need to be greater than your plans. Maybe your plans are falling apart and things aren't like they ought to be. You just need God's comfort and His peace. Come find a place. This song is called Hosanna. And it says, I see the King of glory coming on the clouds with fire and the whole earth shakes. That's about to happen, y'all. That's about to come to pass. But it also says, I see a near revival, a generation that is turning back to God and on their knees. And that's this last day's church. That's you and me, the temples of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I see them singing one word, Hosanna. Hosanna is a prophetic word saved for the Messiah. And the word Hosanna means, come save us, we pray. It's actually what Israel had been singing on the very day of Palm Sunday. They thought he was coming to bring salvation. They thought he was coming to set everything right. So they begin to sing, Lord, save us, make it right. Lord, save us, make it right. But really that song is for you and for me. That's the song for the end time church to say, Lord, we are ready for you to make everything right. Come save us. We are that last day's generation saying Jesus is about to burst through that eastern sky. How many people believe that? That Jesus is about to come. So so let's sing Hosanna, Lord save us, we pray. But let's be that last day's church. So if you want to pray where you are, just worship the Lord. If you want to find a place, these altars are open. But let's sing this as if we were singing it just to the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Worthy are you. Come, Lord God, fill this place. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. I see the King of glory. Yes, God. Oh, God. Coming on the clouds Hallelujah, with fire. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Oh, 